T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. I, I don't want to do a deep dive on pet peeves on a Saturday afternoon this close to Christmas. But I do have one when TV anchors on Viking game day feel like they need to wear purple. I don't know why that bothers me so much. Josh, help me out. Why does that bother me so much? Anyway, The same reason why I wear (laughs) – it's the same reason why I wear blue and yellow whenever I anchor – or whenever I produce here at WCCO. i got to represent the team colors. Yeah, there you go. Blue and yellow. I mean, yeah, that's that's the that's that's what our banner has right now. Yellow big yellow WCCO logo with a big Minnesota. Oh, I got you. Yeah, All right. Yeah. You're wearing yeah. company colors. Yeah. I, yeah I or black you. and white if we really, if we want to talk about the upcoming one hundred year anniversary next year of WCCO radio. Is it a hundred years next year? Next year is one hundred. I I I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I knew that CCO signed on in the 1920s because one of the cool things in the CCO radio building is some of the old-time photos. I mean, of staff from the early days when they signed on the old transmitter site. And, and right now our main transmitter is out in Coon Rapids, right along Coon Rapids Boulevard. And... If you live up in that neck of the woods or work in that neck of the woods, you've probably seen it. But way back in the early days when they signed on the air, there were two towers, and then there was this wire that ran between it. And in the early days of AM radio, they would have a two-tower array with this wire hanging between it and this crazy contraption. And then eventually in the 30s, the way I understand it, they built the tower that still stands today and is our main transmitter. So that has been around since the 1930s. That, that's that got to be, what, 90 years old now or, or very close to it. But one of the other cool things at the transmitter site was when our now-retired engineer, Joe Jonkis, gave me a tour of the transmitter site. And... Some of the memorabilia and some of the old equipment in that building is really cool. Um, because when that transmitter site was, was built in, in the early 30s, um, it, it, it's, it's a fortified building first and foremost. Because all of these signals, like 830, the, a clear channel, station that no 
other radio station could broadcast, that it was part of a civil defense network. So this transmitter site is fortified, and as you go into the lower levels, that there, there's a basement where some of the generating equipment, some of the old transmitting stuff is located. And then there's a spot below that, which is literally a bomb shelter in case of, and, and this came about in the 30s and the 40s, in case of war, and then beyond that, some sort of nuclear attack, once we got into the nuclear age in the late 40s and 50s, that this site could stay on the air. And when when Joe first brought me out there and, and showed me, and then early in COVID, we actually did some shows from that transmitter site. And it was really cool to be out there because um, there there's this old machine downstairs and it's no longer in operation but this looks like something you would see in frankenstein's lab this gigantic thing that in the old days would generate the electric current to power the transmitter that would send out the signal (laughs) this the most insane contraption if i can get back in there i would post photos of it it there's there's no way you could legally operate this thing. It's really, really cool stuff out there. But anyway, long story short, we've been around a long time, and next year I would assume there, there's a lot planned to celebrate 100 years on the air. That, that, that's a good run. That That is... Have you, have you been out to the transmitter site, Josh? Not yet. I'm hoping to here yeah, soon, but we'll see. Yeah, you, you, you got to get out there and... And search around. Just some of the memorabilia and the old stuff that's no longer in service that once upon a time was used. But but I, I kid you not, the idea was is to keep 830 transmitting even in case of war. You know, the generator and the fuel and the food that was stored on site and, and literally a bomb shelter downstairs really really interesting it 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 should be a historical site i mean it should be preserved in in my opinion it may maybe some at some point the the pavic museum will get their hands on the site and be able to to keep it alive the the one thing i did want to bring up were the scores that we know of uh today and one of those heartbreaking Viking loss in Cincinnati. They get beat by the Bengals 27-24 in overtime. The Vikes fall to 7-7. Seven seven. Uh, the Vikes had a 17-3 lead going to the fourth, ultimately gla- grabbed a 24-17 lead, and then T. Higgins made a catch near the goal line. It is a touchdown, really one of the better touchdown catches I have ever seen. And to quickly explain it, but you, you got to go to the highlight. You need to find a website that, that has a highlight of the catch. He caught it, was going out of bounds, was being dragged down by a tackler, and with his feet still in bounds and, and not down, quickly spun around with the ball in one hand and got it inside the pylon over the goal line for a touchdown, and then the pending extra point would tie the game at 24 Vikes failed to get a fourth and inches in overtime, turned the ball over to the Bengals. 
and they go down and get the game-winning field goal, 27-24. They move to 8-6. and six. They're in a good spot in the AFC playoffs. Uh, the Vikings playoff picture getting a little bit more murky after the loss today, and they fall to 7-7, seven and seven, and they will get uh, the Lions, the Packers, and the Lions again before the end of the season. And the Wild won in a shootout today. They beat Vancouver uh, 2-1 to one is the final. One other thing uh, we've done throughout the autumn is bring you up to date on college football final. And we're, we're going to do that right now. We'll tell you what's going on right now in the FCS playoffs uh, because uh, they're in semifinal mode right now. And Montana leading North Dakota State and I, I can never keep them straight. Is is Montana in Missoula or is that Montana State? But but I know the game is in Montana, and Montana leading North Dakota State ten to six. That game early in the third. The winner will play South Dakota State down in Frisco, Texas. And the, uh, the University of Montana is in Missoula. Okay, that that's in Missoula, and then. Montana State's, what are they in Bozeman? I, w- I would assume. Yes. Yep. I, yeah. Okay. I, I I've got my. Look at you Montana with your college cities. football knowledge. Well, I, I I just couldn't remember if if w- which one was in Missoula. So that's where they're playing right now. South Dakota State blew out U Albany, fifty nine zero. The Jacks led it thirty five zero at the half in Brookings. And uh, roll, so that they're they're looking for their second title in a row. But here's what's crazy about it, Josh: the FCS championship game, South Dakota State against either Montana or North Dakota State will not be played until January seventh, which is insane. That is, that yeah. is a long break. That's a long time. Yeah that that is a that is a long break. I mean, really, you almost have to. Give them time off for the holidays, then get them back and just kind of start over again. So, so the teams are going to need to shake off some rust uh, for that. One other thing I wanted to get into, and I know it is bowl season, and and the bowl games have started, and I, I think people are going to get a kick um, out of this. Um, we, we are going to get you up to date on those big, meaningful bowl games that are underway uh, right now uh, in NCAA football. Uh, by the way, the Gophers play against Bowling Green. And I don't know if you saw it, Josh, but uh, one of the websites did the rankings of all the bowl games. There's 41 of them. 41, you say? The 41 bowl games. And they, they ranked them 41 to number one. So Was the bad boy Mowers Bowl number one? No, no, no. The the worst bowl game would would be number forty one, and and that was uh, the bowl game the Gophers are playing in on the twenty sixth. I I kid you not, it, it was ranked. What is it? The Quick Lane Bowl, sure, in Detroit, Minnesota, and Bowling Green. That that was number forty one, and and they they had a little paragraph where they ripped it. It it, it actually was hilarious. Um, here you go. Scores real quick. Uh, no reason to do the college football final intro or anything. Uh, avocados from Mexico, Cure Bowl. 
Yes. Big fan of that one. Appalachian State leading Miami of Ohio 13-9 in the fourth. The Isleta New Mexico Bowl, Fresno State leading New Mexico State 10-0. Isn't that Jerry Kill's team? New Mexico State. You got it. Uh, Starco Brands L.A. Bowl, UCLA against Boise State. That's tonight at SoFi Stadium in Englewood. Uh, the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl, that's down in Shreveport, Louisiana. California, Texas Tech, that is tonight. Another bowl game tonight. RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl, that is at the Caesars Superdome. In overtime, Jacksonville State beat Louisiana 34-31 uh, in overtime. A Myrtle Beach Bowl, did you know there was such a thing? There is. Ohio beat Georgia Southern 41-21. And in the Cricket Celebration Bowl, Florida A&M beat Howard 30-26. to So so there you go. Um, if, if you're wondering or making plans to go to Detroit, uh, for the Quick Lane Bowl, Bowling Green in Minnesota, uh, the Gophers three and a half point favorites. This point in time on Tuesday, December twenty sixth. Uh, quick break, five nineteen, and when we come back, we'll talk golf. Tiger Woods, his son Charlie, playing in the PNC Championship in Orlando. They tee it up early. The weather has been bad down in Florida. They're trying to get it in, so they played this morning the first round. We'll tell you how Tiger and Charlie are doing. And then beyond that, is, is he getting too much exposure? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that here on News Talk. E3-O-W-C-C-O. PNC Championship down in Orlando. I really have loved this event over the years. Jack would play with one of his sons, etc. It's been around a long time, and... It's called one of the silly season events. Um, regular tour season is over. Uh, we haven't turned over to a new year. Um, there aren't a lot of sanctioned PGA Tour events. You used to have the old skins game this time of year. But uh, the PNC has really stood the test of time. And they used to call it the father-son. Now it's uh, players and their dads players and their daughters. Um, Annika's playing with her son. That's been really cool. And the the big feature has been Tiger Woods and his son Charlie playing together. And they'd say, and this has been said, I've had Ron Syrak, longtime golf writer, uh, on the show a number of times. And I, I think a lot of people that will follow the game, you know, and they say, well, he moves the needle. No, no, no. Tiger is the needle when it comes to television and television rating. So I understand why Tiger Woods still gets the lion's share. They they had a lot of coverage of the practice round on Friday at the PNC Championship. And tons of coverage. They, they had a camera on the driving range watching Tiger and Charlie hit shots. And, and why not? Uh, that, that's what the people want. But in this particular event, you know, most of the time it is PGA Tour stars or PGA Champion stars and their sons. And a lot of these kids are good players in their own right. 
teenagers, uh, maybe into their early 20s, have played collegiate golf. And a quick update, Matt Kuchar and his son, Team Kuchar, at 15 under par, 57 today. Then Bernhard Langer and his son at 12 under par. Vijay Singh and his son, minus 12. Retief Guzan, uh, 12 under. David Duvall has a younger son. They made it to 12 under. John Daly and his son uh, are at minus 11, and you get the idea. Annika Sorenstam has a really young son out there playing with her. They made it to minus 10 today. Tom Lehman there. Uh, Tiger and Charlie ended up at minus 8 today after a 64. They were playing alongside Justin Thomas and his dad. I, I think it is really a cool event. And sure, it's an exhibition and I, I think there is some money on the line, actually, in a trophy and so on and so forth, but it is really a cool event. I love but it. I wondered, what's that? I, I love it. I, I think yeah, it's good for the too. game of golf. I think, I mean, anything to get more people, you know, drawn into the game and love it even more is a positive. I, I don't see any possible way how you can, like, I'm sure the Tiger naysayers will dislike it, but there, the, the, there's a lot to love about uh about this about this tournament and the storyline going into it with Tiger and his son and it's I'm not trying to be say anything preposterous but my gosh this kid could be dominating everybody on the golf course in about uh, ten less than ten years yeah and and I wonder about that and that and that's what I wanted to bring up because there's so many great high school players I was thinking about this. You know, here here in the state of Minnesota, good players. Tom, Tom Lehman uh, is one that came out of Minnesota. But you, you look at states like Florida or California or Texas or any of the southern states where they're able to play year-round, there's so many great young players. And certainly, I, I'm not saying Charlie doesn't have the talent, but he is the son of arguably – one of the two or three greatest golfers of all time. You know, you, you, you've got Jack, you've got Tiger, and then you got everybody else. I, I, I think there's a next group of, like, Ben Hogan, Bobby Jones. You know, you, you, you kind of look at the major list. But I, I think there, there's arguments about who's greater, Tiger or Jack. Um, in his 10-, 11-year run, there's there's no one close to Tiger. Over the course of a longer career, not hampered by injury and other issues, uh, you, you would point to Jack. So 1A, 1B, however you want to characterize those two. But you look at Jack's sons, um, good players in their own right, but never got to the level of Jack. And that's what I'm wondering out loud in all of this. Charlie seems to do well, uh, play well in with his dad, uh, play well on the camera. But I'm just wondering, that's a lot of pressure. If he's following in dad's footsteps, you're not talking about a guy who just made money on the PGA Tour or had a nice pro career. You're talking about a legend of sports. I mean, Tiger Woods is a legendary figure in the world of sports, like Jack Nicklaus. 
two players, and you could argue Arnold Palmer is another, that transcended their sport, you know, bigger than their sport. There, there aren't many in that category. In football, you, you got Tom Brady. It, it'd be like Tom Brady's son wanting to be a quarterback. It's like, okay. And that's all I'm wondering, Josh. This is a lot for Charlie. I wish him nothing but the best. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That and that's a lot. There's no there's no running away from the spotlight if you're Charlie. And uh, I yeah. think one thing that anybody that's out there that has watched the uh, Tiger documentary on HBO or Max or whatever it is called now, it's phenomenal. But it also really showcases. The guy could not escape paparazzi no matter what it is, and that's pretty much going to be tenfold, I think, with today's social media, all the, you know, TikToks and everything. I think it's just not going to be an easy process for for Charlie, but it's going to really, really – it's going to be something to see how he how he grows and how he evolves in the golf game because it's it's a spotlight he's never going to be able to leave. Yeah, and, and and I think his dad, you know, has lived in that spotlight, and the, this golf crew transcended his sport. Like I say, there, there haven't been many of them, and I, and I just wish him well. I, I I hope that that he manages it, and you know, get gets to college age and has a good collegiate career, and if he does turn pro, and is good enough to earn his card, uh, and good enough to stay out there. You know, let alone reach the heights that Dad did. That's that's a lot. Hey, quick break coming up. It is 531. Speaking of reaching heights, we're going to uh, talk space flight with Stephen Clark from Ars Technica, and we'll do that to close out the show. We'll have the weather in a moment, and then uh, Stephen Clark will join us. Here on News Talk, E3OW. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. CCO. There's always a lot going on out there between SpaceX, other companies, other Russians, the Chinese. Let's get an update with our friend Stephen Clark from Ars Technica, and he's been joining us for quite some time now. Stephen, always good to visit with you. 
Always good to be here, Steve. And he joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Uh, let, let's start with uh, something that happened uh, recently, and that was uh, the Chinese sent a spy satellite into orbit on a big rocket. Their capability continues to grow. Yes, it, it does, uh, Steve. And I actually, to preface this, I uh, spent this week uh, here in Florida in Orlando uh, attending uh, the Space Force's uh, first annual, what they call their Space Power Conference. And it's a gathering of Space Force, the U.S. military officials, uh, in an unclassified setting uh, to kind of wait, raise awareness about some of the threats they see uh, facing the U.S. in space. And uh, first and foremost uh, of those were the activities of China. And, of course, uh, anyone who follows the news knows that uh, the U.S. uh, military and uh, the Biden administration are concerned that uh, China is building up their military forces for potential invasion or takeover of Taiwan in, uh, in the next few years. We'll see if that happens. But um, the Space Force is kind of posturing to prepare for that um, because any war or any conflict uh, on Earth between uh, two superpowers would inevitably extend into space because both countries depend so much on navigation, communication, uh, uh, surveillance, and uh, command and control through satellite systems. So uh, just to preface, that's the uh, context in which all this is happening. Uh, yeah, yesterday... Uh, China launched uh, their most powerful rocket, and in fact, it wasn't even big enough to launch what they were carrying, which was a military spy satellite. They had to actually raise the rocket's uh, nose cone to fit something even bigger into this rocket than they would normally carry. And uh, yeah, it's likely, it seems to be an optical surveillance satellite that's going to be parked probably over the Indian Ocean or Pacific Ocean. We don't know for sure the uh, Space Force is watching to see where the sunlight goes that will provide a constant 24 uh, seven high resolution uh, surveillance system over uh, China and its neighboring uh, countries and uh, waters, uh, Indian ocean, Pacific ocean, et cetera. And this could provide a, a continuous uh, surveillance of any major military movement that the U S is doing in that area. So this was interesting that this happened right after the space force space force conference here in Florida and uh, we'll see what happens. It certainly uh, is something new that China is doing because a lot of folks uh, in the intelligence community and the, the Pentagon, you know, when China's launching satellites, they kind of follow a pattern. They're building out constellations of satellites. They have their own GPS network. A lot of these missions are kind of cookie cutter to build up incremental capability. But this is something new that they haven't done before. And, Stephen, it, it leads to the capability they already have an orbiting space station, uh, the ability to get uh, humans into low-Earth orbit, keep them alive, bring them back safely to Earth. And you would assume they have their sights set on the moon and other big achievements uh, beyond low-Earth orbit. Yes, yeah, China has publicly stated that they're – goal, their ambition is to land a Chinese astronauts on the moon by 2030. And uh, if you followed uh, China's activities in space over the last 20 years, they typically don't announce these things until they have a reasonably good plan to achieve it. Um, it's not an aspirational thing. They have uh, approval from the relevant authorities, namely Xi Jinping in China, the president, um, to do this, and they have a plan to achieve it. And 
they haven't missed many of these deadlines in space or many of these goals in space. They said they were going to launch a space station in 2020, uh, back in the mid-20-teens, and they did. And uh, I have no doubt that China has a plan to put astronauts in the moon by 2030. And, of course, NASA is trying to do this uh, maybe a few years before 2030. Stephen Clark joining us from Iris Technica here on News Talk 830 WCCL. Um, SpaceX has been uh, uh, incredible this year. Launch after launch after launch of their Falcon 9 delivering Starlink satellites, cargo to the International Space Station, human beings in low Earth orbit, uh, ret- returning from the space station with human beings and uh, uh, cargo from the space station. So it, it's been a great year. But here at the end of 2023, a bit of a glitch with their big operating rocket, and that is the Falcon Heavy down in Florida. Yeah, you're, you're right, Steve. They were, uh, SpaceX was planning to launch their uh, fifth and final Falcon Heavy of the year uh, down here at Kennedy Space Center last week, earlier this week, I guess. And uh, they ran into a couple of technical issues, uh, first with the ground system, then with the rocket itself. And they had to roll it back into the hangar. And uh, this mission, just to add to the the uh, growing competition and uh, between U.S. and China, this mission on the Falcon Heavy, its payload is a U.S. military space plane, a robotic miniature space shuttle that will go up into orbit and do a classified mission uh, and then return to a landing on a runway. So this is kind of... Uh, China has their own space plane, which you may you may ask about that in a minute, but uh, they have their own space plane, which they launched this week as well. So it's just fascinating to watch these this geopolitical um, uh, play between U.S. and China. And uh, SpaceX is a big part of that because SpaceX is launching right now. It's launching the majority of the U.S. military capability in space uh, over the last couple of years has gone up on SpaceX rockets. And, and you know what's interesting about this, and and I think it's it's fairly easy to draw parallels to the the early days of space exploration. We're we're, we're talking Sputnik, uh, the, the the Soviet Union launched Sputnik, um, and then ultimately we're able to get a human being into orbit, Yuri Gagarin, and the United States was playing catch-up, and throughout the 60s, the Cold War fueled that competition and led to Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walking on the moon in July of 1969, and I think history would tell us that without the Cold War rivalry between the United States and Soviet Union, it's highly doubtful that that the United States would have made it to the moon by the end of the 60s, Kennedy's goal to, to land a man on the moon by by the end of this decade. I think you're, I think you're right, Steve, that definitely fueled uh, the massive spending and the budgets from the federal government in the 1960s to make the Apollo moon landing happen. And uh, I think that is a big reason that uh, NASA's Artemis program to put astronauts back on the moon seems to be on a, on good footing right now, has bipartisan support in Congress, uh, has support from the Trump administration, has support from the Biden administration, and uh, it's kind of uh, a unifying theme uh, among a very uh, a Washington, which is often very divisive. Yeah. Uh, but uh, both parties are supporting the Artemis program to put uh, U.S. boots back on the moon. And a big reason of that is they see an external threat in China. 
Yeah, and uh, let's get into some of the things that will make that a reality, and that that's another SpaceX project, and that is uh, the the Starship program, the the super heavy booster, and then the Starship uh, that that will ultimately go into orbit, a, a two piece system designed to be fully reusable. Are we closing in on the third test launch of that system? I think I think we are, Steve. Um, the second launch of Starship was back on November the 18th. That was uh, seven months after the first flight. I don't think it'll be seven months till, until we have to wait for the third flight of this giant rocket. I think it'll be maybe half that, if not less. So I think uh, early next year uh, we will probably see the third test flight of Starship. And in fact, SpaceX uh, just a day or two ago rolled the Starship for Flight 3 out to the launch pad to go through its test campaign, which will take a number of weeks, uh, and then uh, that will set them up for a launch opportunity. If I was get betting, I would say February, but I could see it in January, I could see it in March, but in the next few months, no doubt. Yeah, and it, it is one of those where there was a long delay to get the proper permitting, etc., especially after the first launch where uh, debris went flying, there were problems with the pad. It appears as though they worked out some of the kinks in that second launch and in reality came pretty close to getting Starship to orbit. Yeah, yeah. It, it reached, uh, I think, about 15,000 miles per hour. It needed to get a, a, around 17,000, maybe just shy of 17,000 to get on its tr- planned trajectory, which was uh, nearly orbital velocity. Interestingly, they, they weren't planning to put the Starship into a stable orbit around the Earth. You have to reach a certain speed to do that. Uh, they intentionally were aiming just short of that because they wanted to make sure that uh, the Starship came back into the atmosphere and didn't remain in orbit and become a piece of space jump because it's so massive that it could cause problems. But uh, they got very close on this last flight, and a lot of things went right. They had uh, 100% engine reliability on both the first and second stage, which was a big improvement from the engine problems they had on the first flight last April. And then they tested uh, this technique that they're using to separate these two uh, first stage booster and the upper stage of the vehicle, which is kind of a novel technique. That went well. And uh, still haven't heard what happened at the very end of the uh, mission just before it was supposed to reach its uh, planned trajectory. It uh, self-destructed. Not sure what went wrong there. Um, So that's something that SpaceX engineers are looking at. But coming out of the first Starship flight last April, they had a lot of problems. Uh, They they had uh, engine reliability concerns. They damaged the launch pad. That took uh, a few months to repair and to get regulatory approval, uh, environmental approval to uh, to approve, to uh, certify from the federal government's perspective that the launch pad was safe and wasn't going to uh, cause any more damage on the second flight. They don't have to worry about any of that this time. Nothing like that went wrong on flight two. So it's really, I think, just a matter of finding what went wrong at the very end of the flight, fixing it, uh, putting in uh, some uh, minor upgrades. I understand there's not any major upgrade on flight three uh, of the rocket. It's just a bunch of minor stuff that they're tweaking and uh, changing around the edges. So I think it'll go a lot faster this time. Yeah, and a final thought before we let you go and run out of time here tonight, Stephen. By the way, Stephen Clark uh, from Iris Technica joining us. Is NASA has a vested interest because this is an important part of ultimately landing Americans back on the moon at some point. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so the Starship program from SpaceX, this giant rocket that that Elon Musk has a vision to carry uh, dozens or hundreds of people to Mars one day to launch uh, massive numbers of Starlink satellites into orbit for uh, SpaceX's internet network. It also has a purpose for NASA, and that is to land humans on the moon in the Artemis program, which which is what we talked about a few minutes ago. And uh, so NASA has a contract uh, worth about $4 billion for SpaceX to supply two of these Starship rockets as uh, lunar landing vehicles to carry astronauts uh, to the lunar surface and then launch them back off the the lunar surface on uh, two missions later this decade. So uh, SpaceX has a lot of testing to do to make that happen, to, uh, to prove that the Starship is safe to carry people. And uh, first and foremost is getting into orbit, which I think they have. I think they have a good shot at doing that on the third flight, and then after that, they can start testing uh, refueling, start testing life support systems, and all these other technologies they need for these moon landings. Yeah, quite quite a to do list. And if you dig into that a little bit further, a lot of work needs to be done uh, before a Starship could actually carry uh, humans to the surface of the moon. But uh, they, they've made big strides in some of their other systems and programs. And, uh, Stephen, we certainly do appreciate uh, your time and your update. Happy to join you, Steve. Thank you. There he is, Stephen Clark, ArsTechnica.com, uh, and you can read all his work there. It is 10 minutes now in front of 6 here on what's turned into kind of a gloomy Saturday evening. Uh, we'll have another update on the weather before we say goodbye. Check those scores. Vikes lose a heartbreaker in overtime. Wild win in a shootout. Timberwolves tonight. They're on News Talk. 830 WCCO. Yeah. Um, not their day today. Uh, they had a 17-3 lead going to the fourth at Cincinnati. Bengals roar back, tie it. Vikes get a 24-17 lead with under four to go. Bengals tie it with 39 seconds left. T. Higgins, do yourself a favor. Take a look at the highlight of that touchdown catch. Absolutely spectacular how he got that ball over the pylon. That was a tremendous play. You got to tip your cap. Bengals get it to overtime. Vikes had the ball first. Had fourth and inches, couldn't push it forward. They were just outside of field goal range. Bengals get it back, go down the field, get the game winner. 27-24 the final. Meanwhile, Josh, your wild get another W in a shootout. Philip Gustafson, first star of the game. They went at 2-1 in the shootout today. Yes, sir. They got the job done. Uh, it's been Kind of a scrappy couple wins throughout this giant John Hines era, but that's kind of what you like to see from this team. That, like you mentioned before, they're they're not with they don't have a winning record. It certainly kind of feels that way because we've had we've been on such kind of a heater since John Hines came into the fold. But but they're uh, in it. Yeah, they're in it. They're still in it. They're still playing quality hockey. They're not losing bad games like the last game that Dean Evison did coach was the Red Wings game. That was a game where you could tell nobody's heart was in the game. It was pretty much just dragging our stick around the ice, and that was it. There was there was no heart. There was no soul in the team, and you could tell this team is playing with a chip on their shoulder right now. And obviously, like I said, records don't necessarily show that kind of that kind of thing, but uh, they're playing good hockey. That's all that matters. Well, and, you know, there was a bump in the road on that trip to Canada. They beat Calgary in game one. 
then got beat by Vancouver 2-0 in British Columbia, then had to go back to Alberta and lost to the Oilers 4-3, and that was just the Evander Kane cheap shot on Jonas Brodeen, just brutal. I'm still mad about it. Then they shut out the Kraken in Seattle to end the trip, get the split, and then they won two shutout or shootout games in a row, 3-2 over Calgary on Thursday, and then uh, come back today in a matinee and beat the Canuck 2-1. to one. Uh, they'll, they'll get the Penguins and the Bruins on the road Monday, Tuesday. That, that's a tough back-to-back uh, for the Wild. But they're back in the mix, just two points out of the second wild card in the NHL's Western Conference. Uh, the, the coaching change has worked wonders with this club. Are you still mad about the Kane cheap shot on Brodeen? I still am. Yeah, Brutal. it's it's unfortunate, um, especially because if you follow hockey and if you follow other teams' activity throughout the week, you saw a lot of people kind of start to take advantage of that kind of situation. Uh, I, I, the message I put on on Twitter or X right after the, that game or after you know a couple of days after this had happened is, now you have people using that loophole as an advantage, and they're gonna they're gonna run roughshod over everybody and just start hitting people from behind. And it's exactly what you saw. You saw three or four significant cases where you have players just getting run into the boards from behind and taking cheap shots, and it's it it sets the precedent. It sets the 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 viewpoint of the league of we don't care about our players' safety, and obviously that's kind of what the result was there. Yeah, and, and I don't care the tough guy, old school, so on and so forth. That hit needs to be banned. Checking from behind needs to be banned. I think it's a cheap shot. I think it's a cowardly play and extremely dangerous. It, 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 it's brutal, and the NHL needs to do something about it. I, I'm just not that confident that they will. By the way, Timberwolves in action tonight. Timberwolves take on the Indiana Pacers at Target Center, another big crowd, sellout crowd expected there. Quick update on the weather. Uh, foggy overnight. We're at 40 degrees right now. And then uh, we'll, we'll bottom out around 31. Tomorrow, another dreary day, high temp 39. Quite a bit colder on Monday with a high of only 25 under sunny skies. Big thanks to Josh Wheeler. Have a good evening. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.